The impact of global economic downturns is expressed differently in different places. Nairobi City is not excluded from this rule. A new government which is tax-greedy hasn't helped either, and the place and positioning of art and artists in these circumstances can be a precarious affair. On top of this, Omish challenges me to also be more vocal about the conflict currently going on in the Middle East. Though since recording this episode, a tentative ceasefire has been declared, the facts to which we refer are not limited to this conflict, rather the long-running lack of genuine leadership on every side. Omish has a special way of expressing himself, and when the topics become more difficult and sensitive, the deeper and more meaningful are his choice of words. A quick side note, this is part one of a longer episode, and that is why I have had to cut off sharply at the end. The concluding part will be released next week. Thank you, Omish, for your time. Enjoy. I'm really happy to say that I'm joined once again by Omish. Omish, it's uh, it's been a few weeks. How have you been? I'm I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, kicking uh, kicking about, you know, <laughs> trying to make a living. <laughs> yeah, I I I could understand that. I mean, but I mean, you are mm. you exist in a reality which I'm I have very little knowledge of. Um, I may have seen photos and video clips here and there, but I, I have no idea um, about life in, in Nairobi City. I'm sitting here in Berlin. I've lived in London. I've lived in a small city in Italy, Parma. But I can imagine that where you are is completely different. Um, can you explain what is, uh, when you say kicking around, what do you mean kicking around? If you're an artist, you're always living on the edge of, on the by the skin of your teeth. Uh, I feel like um, in Nairobi, unless you are in a certain uh, category at the top, uh, most artists kind of, it's almost like being a a guy who does uh, work as as a mason or 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 as a brick mason or something, yeah? Like uh, in terms of how the market perceives and pays you, they look at you like that, which isn't the case when we leave Africa to visit Europe. A lot of my friends talk about being treated extremely differently and with a lot of great respect, uh, as though art had a much higher status. But around here, art is a little bit of uh, yeah, so kicking about means uh, doing three, four things at a time, planning without really having a hundred percent confidence if you're gonna get the funding to do this so get the 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 ability to market that so kicking about yeah kicking about it's a lot like being in a an uncertain fight and you just throw kicks in the likelihood that <laughs> you 
yourself and stay safe. I don't know. And the economy isn't very certain at the moment, but I imagine that's a global issue. That's not just a Nairobi issue. Of course, with I would imagine, you know, uh, the effect in Berlin might not be as heavy as it is this way. Plus, we have a new government that is, uh, I would say, tax greedy. And a lot of taxes have recently been raised and a lot of basic commodities are being taxed. There's even rumors of, of tampons and, 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 and other such necessities being taxed. Like, it's a bit ridiculous. But yeah, so apparently the country is trying to make sure all the money goes into its pockets and not into ours. So yeah, it's a, it's a time to kick about, Mr. Zach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's important for me to say that this isn't... Um, if you bumped into the average person in Nairobi, you wouldn't be able to tell from the way they live and from the way they carry themselves and from how their spirits are, you get. And I think maybe that's where the kicking about comes in, you know? Because, okay. mm. yes, I, I think it's important to acknowledge that, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough time, but this isn't exactly a complaint. This is kind of a, an acknowledgement. <laughs> I recently completed an audiobook written by and read by uh, a British Nigerian athlete called Anika Onwara. And she mm. spoke a lot about, obviously, a lot of racism when she was growing up, uh, both in everyday life, but also in the system um, it, that's supposed to be there to promote her and to help her. But very a lot of racism, a lot of sexism um, in, in the UK, mm. in, in the athletics area. But what she spoke about was very similar to what you just said there. So you are in the process of doing three or four different projects for for, for art um for your production as it were but at the same time you're also looking out for funds you're looking ways to to make money to make ends meet to pay for your costs to pay for your materials to pay for the people that work with you and she was saying that mm. while she was training and competing that she had another part of her which was sending out emails phoning people trying to find sponsors trying to find funding and what this says to me is that there is an inherent problem within the system that is supposed to be there to promote art or to promote sport but actually the system is so poorly put together the people who are actually there producing the interesting as it were product either the art or the sport have to spend far too much time trying to facilitate that through funding when really it should be well, the system doing even, that for them no even, it's even more interesting yeah um our national football team is called the harambe stars right if you go online and google harambe stars ticket scandal you'll discover that almost every single time the national team has needed to travel for a major tournament, there has been a corruption scandal involving the money either related to the trip 
or to the players' tickets themselves. In many cases, there are times when people representing the country, and this is the national soccer team, that's probably the team that has the most national attention here. Now, I'll give you an even better, or more, in this case, more tragic example. Uh, my friend, his name is Slim Shaka, is the current poetry slam champion of Kenya. And he recently came back from representing Kenya in Brazil. And he literally had zero representation or support from the government despite contacting them through the relevant authorities because that is now the stature of poetry at least with the soccer team they pay enough attention to steal the ticket fare with poetry nobody bothers to allocate such a thing as a ticket fare for a poet going to represent the country and yet contrast this to but the, he goes to Brazil and he meets the team from Ghana that has a, a chaperone from the national ministry that is supposed to support the arts. And it's the Ghanaian uh, representative who sort of adopts him because he's broke and sort of like uh, helps him out and uh, even, you know, does little things like taking him to see the statue of uh, Christ the Redeemer and all these things that a person visiting Brazil should, you know, that the kind of thing that a representative from the government would have been able to offer, yeah, with a little budget. But so Kenya has a, a, a certain status in the world that I think isn't reflected in how it treats its arts and honestly speaking its arts are a big part of this status that it enjoys in the world and honestly even if the status it enjoys in the world is from the sports it doesn't treat the sportsmen decently either so how about that for a, for an economy within which to operate as an artist you know it's um it's an interesting space but like I said, we kick about in that water, you know, like they still feel us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's great that you make time uh, to come and talk with me. And I mean, OK, this is an extremely small podcast. I hope that uh, maybe uh, you will also attract the attention of uh, bigger channels where you can make more of a splash, create more attention for what's happening um, for your art, more importantly, for the culture that you represent, because I think that's far more important. Hopefully, you will be able to to, to have that and um, yeah, create something for for the wonderful work that you and your art colleagues are doing. Um, I had the pleasure, because of your work and our contact, to see some of the things that you've done. Um, and I and I loved all the other movies that you sent me. But we, you you talked before about a wound that has caused an itch. Um, with regards to one particular movie, Relay Point Omega. Um, do, do you want to, yeah, first of all, tell us why do you feel that way about this movie? Uh, <laughs> well, I'll correct you. It's a, it's a, I was saying that some scars. Scars, some sorry, scars, not a wound. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so some scars each. Yeah. So, you know, the way... Uh, with with the filmmaker, you're gonna make a lot of films and leave them behind and make a next one. 
but then sometimes you also make a film that even though it's behind you, you still feel like you didn't complete the telling or you didn't achieve a certain, uh, you know what you wanted people to feel and you know what you managed to do. Uh, in, in documentary filmmaking, they say you go through a process of surrendering to the footage you have collected and you stop clinging to the idea you had. Yeah. So I feel like in this particular case, the, I have refused to surrender to what I was able to do at that time because I feel I was, uh, it was a great idea, but I was very green as a filmmaker. If I had the chance, it's a film I would make again. And actually, at the moment, I'm giving it a second edit. Because I feel like the first time, I didn't, there are some things I, I know now that I can improve it with. Mm. So that's that's how I feel about, about this film. Uh, it was an interesting project. Uh, and I got support from the Goethe, actually. The Goethe, oh, the Goethe Institute. Institute. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So they were hosting um, a future-themed exhibition, and I, I pitched to produce this short film. And um, it was, uh, I guess I've always been interested in in looking at Nairobi through a different lens and um, kind of making very blatant what is always very undercover. Yeah. So, for example, with this particular story, there's a certain separation that exists between the parts of Nairobi that we call informal settlements, the slums, and even their economies, and the part of the city where the corporations do their business. And I feel that this separation is secretly and subtly enforced. But in my movie, it is publicly and literally enforced. (laughs) So that's kind of what I was trying to uh, twist about. But I feel like, I feel like as a filmmaker, knowing how much I've grown as a filmmaker now and looking back on myself, tackling that idea, it's an idea that I, I bit off more. Now, now that I look back, I can see I bit off more than I could chew with my own idea. Hmm. Even now, now I'm a little bit better capable of seeing what I needed and understanding just how little I actually had. You know, and, and I'm actually really admiring my efforts. Mm-hmm. I watched the movie and even though it has so many weaknesses, they point out to me also the strengths because at that point, I think I literally was, I, it was like I had gone from script writing to directing without ever having been an assistant director or something like that, you know? Okay. So even though I even though I tried my best to pull together all the strings, you can see how the the mechanics like uh, 
I shot like the person who wrote the story, not like the person who's filming the story. There's a reason why the scriptwriter and the director are usually different. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I was. Yeah, I can look at myself back then and see I hadn't separated the two when I was directing. There are elements that now I would direct cheaper, faster, better. There are tricks I know now that would have made me. And even now that I think about it, back then I knew nothing about sound design or visual effects or special effects. Like even props, I was winging it entirely. I was designing everything on the fly. Right now I think I'd be able to wild build a lot better. You Mm -hmm. see? Yeah, so that's the reason why I said it's, uh, it's the scar that itches. Mm-hmm. You know, I got okay. a chance I'd, 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 I'd play with it a little. I actually intend to. Yeah, I might add some elements to it and re-release it as a, a director's cut. Interestingly enough, no one seems to make science fiction films here. Uh, ever since I, I shot this, I haven't seen another. And before this, there was only one really popular one, Pumzi, by a, a lady called Wanuri Kahiru. Uh, well, there has been science fiction in the 48-hour film festival, but I kind of don't want to count that because there has to be, somebody has to pick that ballot, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not going to count that as... I mean, it is a science fiction film, yes, but... It's probably not a, a, a passion project. I want to see the local science fiction passion projects, you know? Mm. I'd, like, I'd, I'd like a science fiction culture, storytelling culture to build here. Mm. Personally, I, I, I will be making films in that genre again. Mm. Yeah, mm. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, for me, as somebody who is trying to always educate themselves, I, I am educating myself more and more about the troubled social history of sort of Western democracies with regards to integration, with regards to uh, diversity and so on. So when I when I was watching Relay Point Omega and people were, the, the characters started talking about the restricted zone and you have to go back and you can't stay out and you know, soon, now if you work hard, then you'll get enough uh, points or to be to be given your permission to leave and live outside and so on. And all of these things spoke to me about, on the one hand, apartheid, um, and on the other hand, a bit like the the Jim Crow laws. Is that the kind of effect that you were you were aiming for, or, or, or was there something else that you had in mind? Apartheid was 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 about race. I'd say I was more interested in class. Okay. I was more interested in class and this division that I sort of, this militarized division that separates the zones of the city, it's a militarized class division. So that's what I was trying to dramatize. And uh, yeah, essentially, this is a class police, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 I think that uh, the kind of world, if you if if I if I think about the kinds of elements that are missing from this world building, 
I'd say the kind of world that necessitates that you police the borders of class is a world with great inequality. So I feel like that's one of the things I would do if you asked me to make this film again. I would do world building around showing how the inequality had made necessary the policing of class borders. But again, in Nairobi, achieving that would be really easy. There are literally roads that divide the rich and the poor here that if you put a drone shot above it, it would be good enough, you know, like on one side is a slum, on the other side is multi-billion dollar mansions. And guess what? The slum is necessary because the people in the multi-billion dollar mansions, they need staff, they need renovations, they need they can't even, you know, uh, scrub their own shoes. Like they need all this, all these people that they do not wish to pay enough money to live comfortably. Beside every room that there's a, a malaria, a kawangware. Yeah, that's 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 how it works. Um, I, I, it's interesting always that there is a huge amount of similarities between racism and classism. Uh, sometimes people do confuse the two. Mm. Yeah, but sometimes one manifests the other. Completely. Some, yeah, sometimes a racist doesn't want to say, I hate your skin. So he says, you can't park here. <laughs> You know, you don't have permission. You don't have a card that says you can't. So, yeah, it's true. Like, uh, I feel like um, separation will find any excuse. If the desire is to, is to, as they say, to other, if the desire is to make an enemy of someone else, then every excuse will be harnessed. I think uh, this, this, this is... We've seen religion harnessed a lot, even in the ongoing war right now. I believe that this ongoing war, religion is the smallest part of it. Economics is a huge part of it. And political interests of people not fighting. <laughs> so, you know, religion is actually is a, is a, is a, the world is in a funny place. I, I, I feel I, I feel you're right in in this and in many other things that you you comment on. It's with regards to the conflict. I think it's for those people who consider religion to be the most important thing. There's a bit of religion for them. For those people who have political interests, there's a bit of political interest for them. And for those people who have purely economic and financial interests. There's a huge amount of financial interest to pursue. So it, it's kind of like yeah. they're covering yeah. all the bases yeah. to get the military yeah. interests too. Yeah. Well, the military interest is connected to the financial interest, isn't it? Uh-huh. But no, they're all connected. It's yeah. an intersection of interests, as they say. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I, I've, I've tried to not be too um, vocally involved in, in what's going on because I think there are going to be lots of twists and turns to the story and I'm, I'm, I'm going to avoid jumping onto any bandwagons um, here and there but my, my concern from the beginning has always been innocent Hello. lives and 
it's, it I remains to be. You, I, I challenge you also. Mm. I, I challenge you also to try and never be a bystander because eventually you where eventually it becomes an untenable position. So personally, I don't go around looking to talk about it, but I think about it. And yeah, where I think, I feel like there is power in speech. There is power in what you say and how you make someone else feel. Yeah. Before I have to punch you, I'll try and say something. Right now, it looks like I'm eventually going to have to punch somebody. War is, war is threatening every space. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. we should be talking a whole lot more at the moment, hopefully trying to keep from punching each other. Yeah. No, you're completely mm-hmm. right. Um, I, I think there have been comments from famous people in the past that, you know, when the bad people were doing bad things, the good people were quiet and let them get on with mm. it. Um, so I think you're right. There's definitely a need to be vocal. My my, my issue mm. is always that I'm I'm against all of the the political organisations and um, the establishment which doesn't want to stop fighting and all they want to do is keep killing. I as in there's there is never for me any justification for the loss of innocent lives and when people and when i say stop fighting stop killing people some people respond to me and say yeah but what about hamas and yeah but you for me hamas but hamas is a part of the killing i'm against hamas i don't want hamas to kill mm-hmm. people either so as in by wanting mm-hmm. peace that doesn't put you um you're right about this and i feel like um there is there is a problem that's bigger even than war right now and that problem is a moral one yeah a lot of institutions that had moral authority have lost it and this has essentially opened a pandora's box where as long as a powerful party feels justified it's difficult for anything to stand in their way. So right now it's difficult even for the UN to say stop. It's difficult for anybody to speak strongly because after that Pandora's box was opened, everyone is implicated somewhere, you know? Yeah. So I feel like, um, I feel like in the end, can I tell you something, Zach? Yeah. You know, funny thing is words are what stop wars. Every time a war stops, there's a big ceremony where people sit down and write words. Words stop wars. We are in need of words at the moment. We are in need of some words. I feel like finding out what those words are is everybody. Everybody who is against the war should be trying to find out what those words are. There are words that will stop this war. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, at the moment, the words ceasefire seem to be somehow uh, either racially motivated or some other thing or in the eyes of people. But for me, ceasefire means stop shooting, stop killing um, and and create the opportunity for the words you speak of to come out. Uh, but unfortunately, there are people on every side because I don't think this is just a question of two sides. There are people on every side involved 
and not enough of those people want to stop killing and that i find Ooh. horrific and uh, that also i think agrees with your point that every organization or group has lost the moral argument yes it's difficult it's difficult for it's difficult for the united states uh, for example yeah uh, is on a downward spiral when it comes to moral uprightness yeah ever since trump actually yeah there used to be a time when it mattered what the united states thought right now that could turn everything against what they like if the united states say they support israel that could be the worst thing ever you know so i feel like uh, it's precisely that when it has gotten to a point where those with the power to do something have their hands bound by people's perception we need to fix that perception that's a job for words we i think what fixes the world right now is a new outlook not a greater military ability there is no political party and there is no way of spending resources that will fix the world right now what the world needs is a new way to see itself and a new way for humanity to see each other uh, consider feminism for example if you ask me feminism asked asked all of us to see women different we'd been seeing women all the time we were insisting that we'd been seeing them right you understand yeah. so i feel like i feel like maybe it's time to ask what is a human <laughs> what is the uh, what is this next person yeah i feel like uh, if we come out of this because if we don't we are you know there's a world war that happens with nuclear weapons that destroys everything i feel like if we surely we can't be that adept at making weapons that destroy us and so inept at speaking words that prevent war i would say if i were a country i'd pride myself not on my greatest weapon but on the greatest peace accords that my government had made happen you understand me i 100%. feel like yeah so i feel like that would be a good way to look at the power of nations and for me yeah maybe this is a good time to ask everybody to look at even power differently yeah even money because mm-hmm. i mean if money can't prevent this type of war from breaking out maybe we've been looking at money itself wrong maybe we need some different way of thinking about value that puts life somewhere sensible you know yeah. right now i feel like i feel like doing it the money way puts life at the bottom of all priorities It, yeah. Israel is not, Israel is not fighting because settlers are homeless. Israel is fighting because it wants settlers to be rich. You understand? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I don't think they are homeless. And I don't think yeah, and you don't anyway, I don't want to go too deep into my specific feelings. Mm. 
Mm. No, but this is a, a, an interesting uh, aside to the topic that we wanted to talk about, because in addition to what you were saying <clears throat> about your story, Relay Point Omega, um, it, it's it's you said it's it's about classism um this this separation it's about militarized classism and obviously it's very easy therefore to draw the parallels between your story which you produced this i think it was 2009 you produced what i saw yeah 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 so there are, there are some very clear parallels and similarities between what i saw and what's currently going on um, unfortunately, in the Middle East. So it's very interesting to be able to look at that and, and say, well, wow, that this is an issue which has been around, but it remains unresolved. And yeah, unfortunately, it that is pretty much the situation. And I find it interesting also that every next generation is content to inherit these feuds. Um, I'm curious about what a generational revolution would look like. What if, you know, we talk about how Gen Z and Gen Alpha are all so different from the millennials, yeah? Mm. And I'm curious, I'm, I'm curious if they're different enough to not fight these wars. I want to see that. I'm, I'm curious if they're different enough you know, to not uh, have the prejudices. Yeah. I, I wonder if I wonder if there's gonna be a generation that is that different. You get, because I find it difficult to believe that there is any difference in the generations if something like this comes up and 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 there's a there's Gen Z killing Gen Z across this battlefield. Then I'm like, okay, something is wrong with how we are doing value and doing meaning as as humanity. Mm. We aren't improving in our knowledge of it, you know. We aren't improving if if then if every next generation is inheriting these these ideas, something is wrong. Yeah, I think consecutive generations have failed those that come after them. So I, I think definitely my generation failed, even though we identified the errors of uh, our parents and our grandparents' generations, but we didn't do enough to change that. And, and I can see that in a lot of my behavior too, even though I'm trying to fight against it. But what I feel that I've partially achieved is passing on somewhat more responsible principles to my kids and I, I think that the real impact of Generations Z and Alpha will probably be felt when they themselves are parents uh, and whether or not they will make sure that their kids are not involved in the kinds of activities which would lead to the death and suffering of others. Um, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Yeah, well, and, and I'm also, I also want to point out something, yeah? that historically from what i can see every time people have changed how they see the world that change has been led by thinking from within the arts